BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's up, fellas? Welcome back to Convos Over Cold Brew with me, your host, Emma Abrahamson. Today we're talking to Paula Finley, who is a professional triathlete. She's from Canada, but she's based currently in Bend, Oregon, where she just bought her house with her boyfriend, Eric, who you guys may be familiar with both of them from that triathlon life on YouTube. They're pretty much popping off these days, but it was really good to get her insight on how she got into triathlon and her recent success in Daytona, quarantine, YouTube, and much more. So stay tuned for today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Do you want to run farther and faster and recover quicker and easier? Do you want to feel healthier than you've ever felt before? You need to make a change, and that's what Inside Tracker is all about. Founded by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard, Inside Tracker is a personalized health and wellness platform like no other. What's their secret? First, Inside Tracker uses its patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture than you've ever had before of what's going on inside of you. Then, Inside Tracker provides you with a concrete, science-backed, trackable action plan for reaching your performance goals and being your healthy best. I actually had a dietitian on. I recorded with her this week, and that episode will go live soon, but we go over my entire like blood work analysis, and she gives me recommendations on what to do um, nutrition-wise to help optimize my levels and also explain like why these levels should be optimized and how maybe they got bad in the first place, so... I'm super excited to put that episode out. It'll come soon, but Inside Tracker is offering my listeners a 25% off discount to their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash Emma. That's insidetracker.com slash Emma because change is an inside job. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. They make eating well, easy, and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. So whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or just looking to eat healthier, there's a range of recipes to suit any kind of diet or preference. They have vegan and vegetarian recipes. They're high in plant proteins and rich in omega-3s. I love the variety that Green Chef brings to the table. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. They're also the most sustainable meal kit. They offset 100% of their direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box, so you can feel great about what you're eating and how it got to your table. I say it every time I talk about Green Chef, but man, their dinners are insane. I've had some of my friends try them too, and they love their variety of recipes, and just that it 
it spices it up. You know, we always looking for some spice in the kitchen and Green Chef definitely brings that on the scene. So if you guys are interested, go to greenchef.com slash 90 cold brew and use code 90 cold brew to get $90 off, including free shipping. That is greenchef.com slash 90 cold brew and use code 90 cold brew to get $90 off, including free shipping. Now let's get straight into the episode. Right, Paula, you, uh, I say, I've said this like the last five episodes of people that have come on, but you like truly very highly requested guests and people are very excited to have you on. So I'm excited to talk to you. We have a lot of questions coming your way. So I hope you're ready to talk about yourself a lot. (laughs) I am ready. Thank you. I'm surprised that you have requests for me because I still feel like, I don't know, I'm not like that well known in the triathlon world, but I, I did just have a big result. So that kind of helps, but yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. You literally, you're like, I don't know if I'm high profile enough to be on this podcast. I'm like, bro, <laughs> it's literally my podcast. Anyone can come on here. <laughs> no. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of like Alexi Pappas and like all these people you've, you've interviewed. So I am honored. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Get out of here. Okay. <laughs> um, well, to start off, do you want to give a little bit, of, a little bit of an intro of who you are and what you're about? Yeah, so my name is Paula. I'm Canadian, but I currently live in Bend, Oregon. My boyfriend's from Portland, so I've kind of migrated to the U.S. Um, I'm a triathlete. I started out uh, with the Olympic distance triathlon, so went to the Olympics in 2012, which feels like a lifetime ago at this point. And between then and now, have struggled a lot with injuries and anemia and like quit, almost quit the sport several times, but triathlon is kind of a unique sport because there is the long distance component. So you can almost completely change the trajectory trajectory of your career um, and focus on long course versus the Olympic distance. So that's kind of what I decided to do about three years ago and fully focused on half Ironman. It's a different kind of race because you use a time trial bike and in draft legal Olympic distance, you use a road bike. So it's, it's kind of cool that I've been able to kind of re- invent myself a little bit to be focused on this different distance and didn't have success immediately but I sort of have gradually been climbing the ranks and recently won one of the biggest races of the year in 2020 at Challenge Daytona so that's that's my career it's been a little backwards I kind of started really fast and good when I was in my um, teens and then got injured and you know my body changed and a lot of struggles like in my 20s but now that I'm back uh, racing well, I feel like I've like found my stride again. So yeah, still, still racing like 15 years after I started, which I never thought would happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm so curious, like, how did you get into it? Because it's, I feel like it's not a sport that people just like dive into, you know, usually start with swimming, biking or running. Did you start yeah. off with one of those before getting to triathlon or do you jump straight into like ITU training? Yeah, no, I started off as a competitive swimmer, which I think is a fairly common starting point for ITU triathletes because the swim is such an important component and you're never going to win the race in the swim, but you can definitely lose the race. So having a swimming background allowed me to get out of the water with the main group and then be in the contention to win anything I, I went into. So I swam competitively for about 12 years. And I, even when I started triathlon, I still continued to swim competitively because I really loved the social aspect of it. My friends were all at swimming. So I sort of identified as a swimmer, even when I had started racing triathlon and that's my main background. And I think it also helped me 
get really fit without putting a lot of stress in my legs and getting injured running, um, which is kind of a blessing in disguise when you're a triathlete is you can put a lot less time into the running, but still maintain fitness through swimming and biking. So um, that helped me out a lot as a young athlete. Um, yeah. Were you good at running too? Like, did you know that you were good at running? Because I feel like, well, I grew up swimming too. And I feel like a lot of people I swam with were not good at running. Like it was one or the other, just because it's like such a difference in the impact on your body. I feel like a lot of people are good at one or the other, but were you, that's like a unique thing with triathletes. A lot of people are good at both. Yeah. So my, my parents are both runners. So I think that played a little bit genetically to my advantage. Um, I would go to like the local high school running races and, and usually like win or come in the top three based on just swimming fitness and not training at all for running. So I can think a little bit like my genetics helped a a bit in that department. Um, I'm built more like a runner than a swimmer. A lot of swimmers are a little bit taller, a little bit like, you know, more muscle in the upper body, whereas I was sort of a little more suited to running. So uh, I didn't make it super far in swimming. Like I was never going to go to the Olympics as a swimmer, but I was a good enough swimmer to put me as one of the best swimmers in triathlon. So that is kind of a another blessing in disguise of like heading in the triathlon direction is I could still swim, but it wasn't all of a sudden, like all the pressure of my like sporting career was on, on swimming (laughs) because I wasn't really bad at it. I feel like having that swimming background is so good too, because you probably were training so many hours if you were like swimming competitively, just because again, compared to running, it's like running, you run an hour a day, like max when you're growing Mm -hmm. up because your body can't handle it. But like swimming, I feel like people put in double days and like hours yeah. of training and stuff. So maybe it helped you mentally too, like be able to handle. So. Yeah. yeah. When I look at, I mean, Eric and I, Eric, my boyfriend often get envious of just pure runners because it seems like they have it easy with just one sport to train for. Although I know it's not easy, but swimming, the number of hours you spend in the pool as a kid are just ridiculous, like 10 workouts per week. So and the training is very monotonous and boring, like staring at a straight line on the, on the bottom of the pool. So I think that did mentally set me up well for the training load that triathlon requires and also made triathlon training seem super interesting and exciting compared to just swimming. So yeah. when I decreased my swimming hours and increased my biking and running hours, suddenly it's like a whole new sport and it's really exciting. So yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, that's actually the reason I quit swimming when I was younger is because I was going to have to move up to seniors and that was like double days. And I was have to get up at like four in the morning. And yeah. that was right around the time where I realized I was good at running. And I was like, Ooh, I'm out. I'm going yeah, to exactly. <laughs> I'd way rather be a runner. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's super healthy. Like I as well woke up at like 4am for swim practices as a kid. And I don't know how I did it. Like, I think sleep is so important now. And looking back is when I was like waking up for swimming and going to school all day and then back to the pool, like that doesn't seem healthy, but you know, it does make you a fast swimmer if that's your goal. <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy. And it's like young ages too. I don't know how, uh-huh. I feel like that's why a lot of people get burnt out though. I mean, I got I burnt so. out. Yeah. A lot of people like maybe make it to college swimming and then, and then they're done, but it is definitely a very taxing sport. Yeah. So when did you decide to do your first triathlon then? Uh, it was in about 2016. I was still uh, swimming competitively, but got a triathlon coach at the time or had a running coach at the time who convinced me to get a bike and give triathlon a try. And he said, if I start triathlon, I could probably make it to the junior world championships that year. And I didn't believe him at first, but did a few races, did really well in them and then qualified for the junior worlds team. So I think that the immediate success in it based on like many, many years of work, obviously it wasn't just like I started the sport out of the blue. Uh, there were a lot of like building blocks, but 
that made it like kind of addicting right away because I was, you know, already one of the best in Canada, um, having just started, started it. So that's what made it stick and (laughs) kept going with it. Yeah. Having that success makes it a little easier to keep going. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Winning is a little, a little bit fun. So that's the reason we all do it. Right. And then like, when did you know that you could go to the Olympics for it? Um, not even really until 2012. Like I was fairly young at the time when in, in 2012, I was just turned 20 and I have, was having success, but my success was very like rapid at the senior level. So I was winning junior races and then U23, but the senior level was a whole other ball game. And I had no idea how I'd kind of rank in that level of racing. Um, so when I jumped onto that scene and also had success pretty quickly, like was winning big world championship level races, that's when I sort of knew maybe the Olympics for 2012 were a possibility, but I wasn't like, I didn't grow up dreaming of being an Olympian. I never thought I was a good enough swimmer to like make that a realistic goal. So it's not like I had my heart set on it (laughs) for my whole life. And it was this big thing I'd been working up to. It kind of naturally became realistic as I was continuing to race well at higher levels. And then went to it sort of like in a whirlwind. Like I didn't fully appreciate it at the time. I don't think I just kind of felt like, Oh, I'm racing really well. I'm one of the best in the country I should go. And I, and I had a lot of pressure to do well there. And, um, it, the whole thing, like I hardly even remember the whole like couple of years leading into it and the experience itself, just because it happened when I was pretty young and, and so many things happening around me. So yeah, <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah. That is I crazy. Think, I can't even imagine going to the Olympics when you're 20 years old. For yeah, no, I'd rather go like back now as a 30 year old with a lot more experience. And I think a lot of athletes do well the second time they go back to a games, just because of the experience they gain at a multi-sport event like that. It's very different than just going to a world championship for your sport. It's, um, yeah, just a completely different level of attention and media and hype around it. So the first time around, I think it's pretty rare that someone will, you know, medal at their first Olympics. I mean, it happens, but it, it is good to go once and gain some experience and try to go again. <laughs> Wait, so did you go in 2016 as well? No, I missed the team in 2016 because I was injured and I was the alternate, but I was pretty like heartbroken to not make it there. So after the 2012 Olympics was kind of when a a big string of injuries started for me. And um, so despite like all of my effort to go to 2016, I didn't make the team that year. So why do you think those injuries were happening? Um, I, I definitely trained a lot as a teenager and probably didn't eat enough, um, wasn't having a period. And then right after the Olympics was, insanely stressed and gained a lot of weight and it just like this body change that naturally happens when you're in your 20s happened to me and I suddenly got slower and more injured and couldn't train as well but at the same time only two years before that had been like the best ranked number one in the world for triathlon so it was like really hard to see myself as the same person almost because I felt like a different person so I think it's just like, it happens to a lot of athletes and triathletes and runners in particular, when they hit this point, when their body changes and they have to kind of learn to readapt to, you know, it's not like you can never be fast again. I think often triathletes actually peak in their thirties, but I did have this peak in my late teens because I was like light and fast and (laughs) whatever it was, was training like a maniac. So, um, 
yeah, it took almost 10 years, like I said, to kind of get out of that cycle and to finally be back now in a groove where I feel like I'm healthy and can train sustainably and race, race well again. So that is so crazy. I feel like you're speaking to me at this, moment, <laughs> at, this at this point. Well, like, I, I think it's common, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's common, crazy. but it's like never talked about, you know? Yeah. How did you get past that point? Like, how did you not, like you said that you had points where you wanted to quit or like stop. Yeah. How yeah. did you get past that point of like, thinking that you're never going to be good again, or that you're never going to be able to train healthy again? Yeah. Um, I always had like, I mean, I went to school and had an undergraduate degree and I was slowly working towards that. So I didn't have all my eggs in one basket of triathlon and had to, I didn't feel like that was like the only thing in my life. I still wanted to go to medical school at that time. And I had like other ambitions. So that helped, I guess, mentally, just to know that if I was never fast again, it wasn't the end of the world. Although I still, you know, the memory of winning big races was fairly fresh in my mind. And I always believed that I could get back to that level because I was the same person. I was just, you know, growing up. So um, that was also a big part of it was just kind of like belief in myself, even when times were tough. And I ended up changing coaches quite a few times to try to change my environment and the people around me, because I think that's a big part of success is like training partners and who you surround yourself with. So tried, you know, three or four different groups through this whole period of time. And um, yeah, just like self-belief, I guess, is what kept me in it. And then also just like the true love of racing and training. Like you have to have some enjoyment in the day-to-day process to pursue this. And I never lost that. So although I wasn't racing as well as I used to, I still really enjoyed the process day-to-day of like getting better and trying to improve and get back to the point where I was at. So that that kind of helped too. <laughs> yeah. Man, that is crazy. Like 10 years of just having like, I don't know, just yeah, I, I can't even imagine until you're like back at where you feel like you're competing to the level again. Yeah, I think it gets really broken up by Olympic cycles. Like, you know, 4 years goes by so quickly. So between 2012 and 16, that seemed to fly by and then 16 to 20 is when I kind of transitioned to long course and there were periods throughout that time where I had good races and would podium at, at different events, but nothing near like I used to do. So um, that that helped as well. It wasn't like I had zero good results at all and was 100% yeah. injured. I had peaks of like glimpses of my old self. So that kind of kept me rolling through the whole the whole time. When do you feel like the switch happened where you're like, okay, I'm feeling like consistently like my old self again, like I'm at a new level? Yeah. Um, honestly, it was like 2020 and the the pandemic and shutting down and not having any races on the schedule took like so much pressure off of me. And so Eric and I last year really just had a really good year in a lot of ways. Like we didn't train as much, but I stayed healthy all year and haven't had an injury in a year and a half. And I think a lot of that is because of taking the stress off of having deadlines and races on the schedule. Um, For the last decade, I've been almost like treating races as deadlines where I need to get really fit by a certain time it would rush through sessions that I wasn't really ready for and then get injured. And it was this downward spiral. So last year I just didn't have to do that. And it allowed me to run a little bit more, a little bit more every single month to where the point where I was, you know, in December last year in the best shape I'd been in, in the last 10 years. So um, it was a bit of a, I know it was a tough year in a lot of ways for a lot of people, but I probably had one of the best years (laughs) in my triathlon career, just being able to, train consistently without the stress of competing. Yeah. 
I mean, you definitely weren't stress-free because you guys were posting and filming your entire life. I'm sure yeah, that, yeah. that added yeah, an element of work and <laughs> schedule, but how is yeah. it like being YouTube famous now? You guys are YouTube stars. <laughs> YouTube stars. That definitely wasn't our intention and it's definitely stemmed by Eric. Um, he's He does all the filming. He does all the editing. I don't know how to work the camera and I can't edit. So it's largely Eric's project, but I try to contribute as much as I can. And the whole thing started around the same time as, as the pandemic. So we were posting every single Sunday, putting out a video and we still do. But last year it kind of gave us this sense of routine and responsibility because we were growing this following and everyone was expecting this video on Sunday. So we had to do it. And we started really enjoying that, that, you know, um, sort of structure and routine when nothing else was certain in the world, like races were being canceled. We didn't really have to train if we didn't want to because there were no races. So having the video and the YouTube to put out every week gave us a sense of like purpose almost. And because it was growing so rapidly and we were getting such good feedback on it, that was also a bit addicting. So, um, and also held us accountable to uploading stuff. So yeah, it's been a fun project. It's turned into something bigger than we ever planned it to be we have like a bit of merchandise now and um, still doing the videos even though there's races on the schedule so we almost need like a personal assistant to help us with everything yeah but it's been more financially successful than racing ever has for us and yeah a lot of like really positive things have come out of it so it's what fun. was like the spark like what what made you guys decide to start the channel uh eric it was it was eric he really loves video and editing and I think that creative side of him was just kind of craving some kind of, uh, he's, he's had a YouTube channel for a long time, but it never gained traction because it was very sporadic uploading like every couple months. So he decided that the best way to gain some attention and you know following on YouTube, I don't know how the algorithm, algorithms work, was to upload regularly. So sort of arbitrarily chose Sunday and it, wasn't like even two months into it it wasn't like oh this is going to be our thing like every Sunday it kind of just turned into that yeah and four months in we like created a logo and kind of a identity to the whole thing so that people could recognize it and we could put that logo on some clothing and some mugs and some water bottles and people could sort of feel like they were part of the community and we call it that triathlon life so it's not linked to our name necessarily so I think that also helps people to you know, like want to get a t-shirt or a sweater to wear at a race. Cause it's about like the lifestyle and not just Eric and Paula. So we were like, we think it's the name was super lame at first. We're like, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's caught on. So <laughs> it definitely has caught on. I mean, yeah. obviously it's very popular. So it's cool yeah. to see the triathlon community. I mean, I'm like on the outskirts. I don't even know what I, I don't really know that much about triathlon to be honest but it's like through Talbot or just like random other people you guys like I found you guys on YouTube and you guys have like a huge community on there like triathletes it's kind of cool yeah. just to watch the inside scoop and it's like all really good triathletes too yeah I think it's triathlon so interesting because it's a very um anyone can do it like anyone that has a bike and knows how to swim a little bit, can do a triathlon. So the reach that we get is from people that are just starting and maybe haven't even done a race before. And our whole philosophy is that it's not about the racing and winning and doing an Ironman. It's about sort of the process and the day-to-day -day and enjoying the life of it. And we didn't race, none of us raced last year, but we still are triathletes and 
trained every day because we love training. So that's sort of the attitude we try to bring to it is very approachable. Um, the opposite of someone like Lionel Sanders. He's a very famous triathlete. He posts about his power numbers and it's almost like a, he's a superhuman, right? Like it's not a relatable thing because no one's ever going to push that much watts on the bike, but we're a little bit more like, you know, we show our dog in the episodes and cooking and like more day-to-day stuff. So yeah, <laughs> it's a different, it's a different vibe than a lot of the triathlon channels out there. Yeah, it definitely is. And it was just cool to see you guys go with the flow last year, because I feel like every episode you're like, it looks like we're going to bike today. looks like yeah. we're gonna, uh, <laughs> swimming. I was like, exactly. what? <laughs> but I yeah. mean, that was like the best way to approach training last year because literally nothing I mean in Oregon was open so yeah exactly no pools yeah. were open anywhere our coach was giving us a schedule but was very sort of flexible and understanding of everyone's situation and it was more there as a guideline if we felt like we needed some structure but not set in stone like you have to do these workouts every day so yeah the pool closures were also kind of a nice thing for us like growing up as swimmers I haven't taken more than a couple weeks out of the water since I was like 12 so to be forced to take a break from swimming was super nice like yeah swimming's my least favorite of the three now because I've done it so long so it was everyone was panicking because they couldn't swim but I think at the end of the day like we're all going to be just as fast as we were before the pandemic (laughs) after a couple months of swimming so yeah it was a good lesson you don't just swim as much as you think you do (laughs) Are you still the best at swimming, even though it's your least favorite of the three? Or what's your best leg now? Um, I think my best, my strongest relative to my competitors is the bike now, which is kind of interesting because I didn't grow up cycling at all. But through all of my running injuries, I had to, or I did put a lot more focus on cycling. And that sort of helped me because now that 70.3 long course racing, there's a lot more emphasis on the bike. It's kind of the longest relative component of the three. Um, and that, and that's my strongest leg now. So it's my favorite. Like I really enjoy cycling. It's the newest to me. I still feel like I have a lot of improvement to make riding a TT bike and, and all that. So yeah, I'd say I'm fairly equal across the three. I'm not like super standout in anyone, but the bike's probably my best. So since the bike is like the longest one, someone asked, like, what is the most important leg? I always say the bike because it is the longest, but is there one in your mind that is the best, the best to be best at? Yeah, I think it's the most fun to be best at running because you're always going to be a threat in any race, even if you're, you know, like Gwen Jorgensen, for example, even if she was a minute back off the bike, she would still win races. So if I could pick one to be kind of like outstanding at, it would probably be running. Um, Plus that's fun you to can, everyone off at the end. Yeah, <laughs> you can run anyone down, exactly. Um, but the bike is just so critical in non-draft racing because you can lose like five or 10 minutes easily if you're not sort of strong in that discipline. And it's such a long component. It's like two and a half hours. So um, I'd say the bike is maybe the most important, but it's it's fun to be a fast runner too. <laughs> yeah. Good answers. Good answers. Yeah. It's going to be good at all three though. So. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to, you got all of them. <laughs> I would say swimming is the least important for long course, because if you lose two minutes in the swim, it's not that unreasonable to make that up in the bike. So. 
I'm sure a lot of people listening to this because it's like probably all runners. They're like, okay, that's good to hear. That's yeah. You guys, all you fast runners, you should just start triathlon. You'll be good. (laughs) There you go. Encouragement. Um, okay. One random question that I have for you is how do you manage like traveling so much and training and racing all the time? Because traveling when I was in college running was like probably the most stressful part of, Mm I don't know, my routine as a runner so you guys are like living in van life and you're just from place to place how do you balance it all yeah um I guess it's sort of been part of our lives since when I say we it's like Eric and I since we were like 18 like I have been traveling the world circuit racing ITU races so since I switched to long course it's decreased significantly I hardly travel internationally at all it's mostly within the U.S. and Canada so that helps a little bit with jet lag and stress of travel. Um, most recently, Eric and I bought a house in Bend, Oregon. So we have a dog now we have like a home base. So we try not to travel as much as we used to. And we do have a van. So anything within like an eight hour drive race wise, we can drive to which minimizes stress. But it does, you know, last year, we didn't travel at all. So the first race of the year, this year we like forgot how to pack our bikes and like packing for a triathlon to fly to is like the worst thing ever. It takes a full day just to get fully organized, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. And you sort of get into a routine, have a packing list and, you know, can (laughs) go through it. But the more difficult part now is like finding someone to look after the dog and just like planning our lives around it a little more. Um, But I don't regret having like a home base and a dog and feeling a little bit more grounded. I think that always helps with traveling is knowing you have a good place to come home to and not being a complete like you know on the road all the time kind of person so yeah I feel a lot more settled now so when I travel it's not as hard to imagine because I know I can come back to somewhere that I love so why did you guys choose Bend? Uh, Good question we were in Portland before this or Troutdale just outside of Portland Mm -hmm. and it wasn't the best for training there wasn't a lot of soft trails I'm a big fan of running on soft surfaces because of lots of like stress fracture injuries so we have a lot of friends in Bend and we visited here last summer quite a few times and the trail options are endless the pool is amazing and then just the community of people like we really have a lot of connections and friends here which is important for me to meet up with people to train and didn't really have as much of that in Portland so Eric's family is from Oregon, so we kind of wanted to stay local, and Bend is just a place that we super love. Um, it was within driving distance of Portland, so yeah, while we're here, yeah. How do you guys deal with the winters, though, is what I want to know. Like, <laughs> the long bikes and the running and the swimming all Yeah, that's a rainy. good question. Well, we were in Tucson for a month this year, so you, we can kind of escape for a month or two at a time if we need to in the dead of winter because we have the van so we can load it with all our bikes and the dog and take it down south um but growing up in Canada the winters in Bend aren't that extreme comparatively to what I'm used to so um it's actually pretty nice here I mean you can still ride outside it's cold but the roads are dry for the most part and I really enjoy indoor training I know that's crazy but Zwift has like transformed that for me so I actually do really well off of like almost exclusively indoor training if necessary. You know, we have a treadmill, we have the the kickers with Zwift. So um, I don't mind the winter at all. I'd rather be home all year round and kind of deal with the cold and the snow than travel a bunch. So yeah, that definitely <laughs> makes sense. 
Yeah. Man. But I feel like right? love the indoor training and like everyone loves the treadmill and runners literally think triathletes are crazy because who, I feel like triathletes all the time opt for the treadmill. Yeah. I've learned to kind of love it. Just the simplicity of it. It's yeah, super fast and efficient, but I can, I can also identify with people that don't like it at all. Like it's, it's way different than running outside. It's pretty mind numbing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all of my runner friends. I don't even remember the last time they ran on treadmills. <laughs> yeah. And they're all super fast. So maybe that's the trick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No one runs on treadmills. Just kidding. Obviously yeah. you're very good. And there's a lot of other triathletes that are very good at running that run on treadmills often. So yeah, it's the re- the reason I got into it was when I we went back to Canada last summer and we had to quarantine for two weeks, like not leave the house. So we bought a treadmill and ran every day on it. So I got used to it that way. But yeah. it wasn't by choice. It was like forced on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I want to talk about Daytona this year because I feel like when I was first, you know, watching videos on triathlon or just like trying to learn a little bit more about it, the race that came out the most was Challenge Daytona. And I was like, this is the coolest race I've ever seen. um so I want to hear about your experience and obviously you had an amazing race and won this year so did you know that you were going to win going into it and I guess what was like your training looking like leading up to it yeah Daytona was sort of the only race of 2020 that as it approached looked like it was going to happen sort of we were kind of approaching the year like we're going to stay pretty fit but not super fit. And then if a race looked promising, we'd ramp up the training and get ready for it properly. And that's what happened with Daytona Um, because it was raced all on a NASCAR track. So it sort of stayed within this bubble. We did 20 loops of the track and then four loops for the run. So it was fairly COVID safe relative to something with a bunch of age group athletes and something that, you know, went on a 90 kilometer bike course. Um, they were following a lot of protocols to make it safe. So for that reason, like a lot of athletes focused on it and trained for it and decided it was going to be like the one race of the year. There was a huge prize purse. It was like a hundred thousand dollars to win. And then the prize money went all the way down to like last place. So basically you were guaranteed to make money. Um, So kind of a race like no other. Yeah, man, that sounds nice. (laughs) That everyone was training for. So I certainly was not expecting to win. I, was sort of skeptical that the race would even happen up to two weeks before, um, just because we did have a couple of races before it that were canceled. Um, but still continued to train and like as if it was going to happen. And um, we were, Eric and I were in Canmore, Alberta, which was like the dead of winter in December. So we did 100% of our training indoors, all on Zwift and the treadmill. So because the course in Daytona was so straight, flat and not technical, it actually suited training on Zwift really well because we did a lot of time in the aero bars, just like very boring, hard miles without any outdoor stimulus at all. So that ended up playing to my advantage just because I was very comfortable in the aero position. I'd been training all on the kicker um, exclusively. So I went into it feeling really fit, but completely unsure of like everyone else's fitness and I hadn't raced anyone for over 12 months so you really no one had a clue how they were going to do I don't think you know out of the 50 girls on the start line I think 20 of them could have won so (laughs) I really didn't know but I felt amazing on the day it's like the best I've ever felt in a race I felt very in control Um, I was coming down from altitude so racing at sea level and super warm Florida felt easy almost um and yeah, I ended up winning, which is crazy by, by a couple minutes. So I had a big yeah. buffer, but, um, very unconventional year, very 
unusual race course. I've never raced on a track like that before, but it definitely suited the training I had done leading up to it. Yeah. Do you feel more pressure on yourself now that you won that race? Because I feel like a lot of people were watching that race just to see mm-hmm. how everyone was faring after the crazy year. Yeah. Yeah. It did get a lot of good um, publicity. Like they, they put it on TV, on NBC and everything. So because it was in such a small relative like circumference they could video the whole thing like they had the whole thing on camera and stuff um but I do feel pressure now and I'm trying to go back a little bit to my 2020 mindset where I had zero pressure although it's impossible to go totally back to that but I definitely like get nervous for workouts now because I feel like everything matters more and because there's races on the schedule that will probably happen I feel like I need to go improve myself and win those as well so it is a little bit dangerous. Like every single workout I go into, like I have a big workout tomorrow that I'm like kind of nervous for, but in 2020, I wouldn't have cared about it. I'd just go do it and see how it went. So yeah, I'm trying to go back to that mentality. Cause I think that's a way healthier way to train, not put too much pressure on yourself every day. Um, but it is hard when you're having success and you have a bit of a target on your back to try to live up to that level at every race. But I don't know. I just kind of have to believe in the process and stay healthy is like my number one goal, because I know if I'm healthy and running well, I can, you know, be competitive in any race. My biggest downfall is getting injured. So that's like my only priority (laughs) is not getting injured. (laughs) What's your next race? Uh, My next race is May 1st. It's St. George 70.3, which is actually the same course that'll be the world championships this year in September. So a lot of people are coming over from Europe for it just to like kind of try the course out and in preparation for worlds in four months or five months or whatever it is. So it'll be pretty competitive and I love the course. It's very hilly. It's like a little bit at altitude. It's, it's a fun course. So hopefully I'll do well, but I don't know. It's, you never know how it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Since it's such a long race, like how often do you race? Um, I'd probably race like once a month in a normal year, um, starting like April and finishing in September, October. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with 70.3, you can race pretty frequently because you recover fairly quickly. Ironman is like a whole other level where you can only pick a couple a year because it's so taxing on your body, but the turnaround from a 70.3 can be pretty quick. And I think it's actually good to have them built in every once in a while. Cause it sort of naturally lets you recover and taper and then you race and then you have a bit of downtime to recover from it. So it helps with the whole training cycle to race like fairly regularly, I think. Yeah. I got a lot of people asking when's the full Ironman coming for you. <laughs> yeah. I've been asked that a lot too. It's, I, it doesn't really appeal to me, but I think because it's such a big part of like the triathlon world and sponsorship, I definitely need to at least think about it going to Kona. Kona is like the big show every year. Yeah. Um, and it's what most sponsors care about most. So um I think it'll, I'm just like really enjoying the half distance right now. And I still feel like I'm fairly new to it. So I don't really want to jump up to a whole new different thing. And I honestly hate long bike rides and super long runs. So I'd rather train fast. Um, So we'll see. It's not definitely not this year, but maybe next year. Okay. Um, Well, I'm sure everyone's excited for that, but everyone's also excited to watch your journey this year. Oh, thank you. So (laughs) have you done, do you have any races on the schedule? Not yet. I'm still just like building up 
yeah. and just getting back into like the swing of things and like training consistently. And right. I don't I, like, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself to have races on the schedule. Cause that's like really stressing me out. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, like, I'm hoping to race at some point this year, but it's a TBD type of situation yeah. right now to see when the motivation strikes or if like I'm feeling confident enough to get on the starting line. Yeah. I think targeting like a race in the fall, September onwards would be good. A lot of the races have already been postponed till then. So there's yeah. like so many options and yeah, still a while away. So yeah, I just can't imagine like trying to like rush into getting ready for a race. Like I feel yeah. like I've spent my whole life just getting ready to like I don't know, for certain deadlines and stuff. And it's nice right now, like when I'm fairly young, I guess, for the triathlon world to like not have to put too much pressure on myself to get super fit and ready, totally. you know, after the years of like letting my body do its thing, you know, after yeah. collegiate running and stuff. So yeah, we'll yeah. see, but I'm not really in any rush, which feels good. So yeah, I agree. It's, it feels like how I felt last year, just no pressure, just train. Cause you want to train and uh, slowly improve over time. Exactly. It's not very interesting for my followers, but <laughs> um, for the ride anyway. Well, I like your, you have a good personality. I like your, your videos are good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Commons of Recovery with me as your guest and Paula is the host now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, feel like podcasts, there's got to be a bit of back and forth. I, there definitely, yeah, there definitely is. is. I mean, those are the <laughs> I enjoy the most too, because it's like, I don't know. I don't like it being super scripted because then it's just boring. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The best ones are more of a conversation. Yeah. Well, now we're getting to the scripted part because people ask you questions and we need to know the answers. So okay. that's, um, that's what's your favorite workout? Uh, my favorite workout is like a fartlek type of run. Like our coaches have given, given us a lot of six minutes on one minute off times five or like four minutes on one minute off times 10 or whatever it is like a little bit of broken up, but still like a tempo run. Mm-hmm. Um, I get really into those, any kind of hard run workout I like, but I don't love running on the track. So I prefer more of like a time-based interval versus like a distance based. Cause then I don't judge myself based on like how fast that kilometer was. It's just like run for four minutes and that, you know, yeah. a little less stressful. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, since your, your guys' races are so long, <laughs> Someone asked, what keeps you going when you enter the pain zone and how can you control yourself in it? Um, 70.3 is kind of weird because you don't really enter that like super, super uncomfortable. Well, it's uncomfortable, but it's not unsustainable. It's very rare that you get into this zone where you're like going at max and you feel like you're going to fall over like you might in an Olympic distance race. So I find that the races, they go by super quick because there's so much happening around you and there's drafting zones that you can't enter and like there's a lot happening so I never really get bored and that really helps to forget about like the discomfort and how you know horrible it feels sometimes is just you know focusing on what's happening in the moment and not thinking about like the half marathon that's coming up <laughs> stay present <laughs> yeah staying present in the leg that you're in I can't even yeah. imagine just being yeah. on the bike and being like oh my goodness I have to run 13 point yeah one miles man I forgot what I have how long I was there yeah I know you can't think about that yeah um let's see what where are these questions coming from I have them I have them written down in my handy journal well I asked them on um our Instagram the commas over cold brew Instagram oh cool I'm not just making these up I promise people actually (laughs) no they're good questions um do you have any tips for beginner triathletes especially for ones who are on a budget Yeah. Um, I think that like gear is a bit overrated sometimes when you're just getting into it, you don't need the nicest, fanciest bike or run shoes or 
wetsuit because it is overwhelming the amount of gear that triathlon requires compared to running. So I would say, I mean, a helpful thing is to kind of not necessarily get a coach, but have some kind of training plan. And I think you can find a lot of them online, even just a very basic layout, because when you add three sports to the mix, if you're used to just one, it can be overwhelming. But the fact is like, you don't need to run as much if you're also swimming and biking. So just having some kind of an idea of how to put a structured week together so that you feel like you're getting a lot out of yourself with however much time you have to train is really important. And then, yeah, not stressing out about the gear initially. Um, you can do a triathlon, especially like a sprint triathlon, like on a mountain bike. So um, see if you like it first and then start investing in all the fancy gadgets, but they're certainly not necessary. Like I actually just went to the wind tunnel last week for my bike to gain like two watts here and there with different helmets and stuff. But that's like the very, very last percent of improvement. Like you don't need to think about any of that stuff right away. It's like big picture, just try to train consistently with a plan and then get a fancy bike later. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice. Cause I feel like a lot of people, if you're younger too, they just get so overwhelmed with the thought of like doing a triathlon because there's so many different elements. Yeah. But right. Yeah. It's, following the plan. It's very different than running. Like you're just not, I don't know. You need to is, have you, a plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it seems complicated, but it's not that difficult. It's like do two hard run workouts, two hard bike workouts and two hard swim workouts a week, like something like that. You know, it's very, when you compare everyone else's training plan, it's, it's all very similar at the end of the day. Um, but having a bit of a structure or someone else give you a bit of a outline of what to do every week definitely helps a lot with planning everything. Yeah. Um, who is your biggest rival in the triathlon world? My biggest rival. Oh, geez. Um, I don't know if I have one person that I'm like head to head with and, you know, back and forth. I, the best triathlete in the world right now is Daniela Reef, who's like multiple world champion. And anytime I race her, I'm just like, okay, I'm racing for second because she's clearly the best, but I'm curious to race her now that I'm a little bit fitter and faster than I was a year ago. And it's been a year off and she's going to be in St. George. So I'm not going to say she's my rival. Cause she's like, so, so she's like the queen of triathlon, but I'm, I'm excited to like measure myself against her, I guess. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Cause it's coming in hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are your future goals in triathlon and in life? In life? Oh yeah, boy, that's tough. I really want a podium at world championships. Um, I was kind of like, I feel like I would never say that publicly until I won Daytona because now it seems like it's possible since that was kind of a world championship level. So I showed myself that it's possible and that it's not like totally crazy to say that. Um, and in life, that's a tough one. It's really hard to imagine after triathlon when you're a professional triathlete. Um, but I think we have a lot going on with like our little business and YouTube and all that, that could lead to like post-career opportunities. Um, and then just like as an athlete, you're kind of a small business yourself, like managing sponsors and things like that. So who knows, but I'd love to like maybe even work with one of my sponsors when I'm done racing as an athlete. Someone asked, like, did you get a lot of sponsorship opportunities after <laughs> Daytona since it's such like a publicized event? Yeah, I sort of, I mean, I, a lot more opportunities came my way and it was kind of funny timing because the race was December. A lot of sponsor contracts are finalized in like October, November for the following year. So it was kind of tough to like approach companies for 2021, but I did switch bike sponsors and um, I'm actually currently like talking to 
to a couple new partners. So I think it's kind of like a long-term thing. Like I did have one good race, but I think what sponsors want to see is consistency. So, you know, our channel adds some value, but then going and winning more races will hopefully lead to more opportunities. But it definitely gave me more. I mean, like doubled my Instagram following and all that, <laughs> which is definitely, in a, you know, good for sponsorship. So, yeah, exactly. Um, I think the most asked question was, how did you and Eric meet? Uh, well, we actually met at a race in China, which is super random, but we knew of each other's existence and this weird race in China that we go to most years, it's like, you have to go there and everyone's like on a bus together, like going to all the tourist spots and then going to the dinners. And so you kind of like forced to hang out with this bubble of like 10 athletes the whole week. So that's when we started talking and then just through like Instagram, we kept talking and yeah, I don't know. The rest, the rest just happened. <laughs> exactly. People are curious, how do you like being filmed by him all the time? Um, that's a good question. It was really difficult at first. And if you go back and, or if I go back and watch some of our episodes from like 2019, I'm so awkward and like grumpy on camera. So I'm like, just turn it off. I don't want to be filmed right now, but I'm way more used to it now. And I think it looks like we film a hundred percent of every day, but it's fairly planned out early in the week. Like we'll have a very, um, I don't know, a plan of when we're going to bring the cameras out so that it's intentional and I'm expecting it. And Eric has a bit of a plan of what he's filming. So it's not like 24 seven, even though it might appear like that on, on, uh, the video and if I'm super grumpy or like really don't want to be filmed we just don't film so yeah I don't I really don't mind it it's I realize the importance of it and it's kind of part of our job now to do it so that also helps um to be okay with it and I also try to like take an active role in filming him every once in a while because his sponsors need some love too <laughs> yeah I've seen you take control of the camera you always say I don't know how to work the camera but you do fine. yeah well he has a nice camera so it's pretty like I don't know. The nice of the camera is it's kind of foolproof, you know, it, yeah. just, it just works. Yeah, that's true, man. You guys just like, I don't even know what the right word is. I don't know any of my cameras. Um, Neither do I. Like, I. I don't know how this is my career or how I even have a YouTube following because I don't know how to work camera and I don't know how to edit. Um, well, you're pretty good at it. So but, we're just rolling with it. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. But your guys is like, um, video footage is crazy. Like, I don't know how you do that. And like working out at the same time, like the footage that you guys get is insane. Yeah. Eric's pretty good at like technical riding so he can film while he's bike riding. So rarely do we like stop in a session to get any shots. It's all kind of on the fly or he can yeah. even like fly his drone basically from his bike. So yeah, you can literally tell. And I, when I like went out with a GoPro one time on my bike and I was like, never again. Cause I almost crashed. And no, I, was, I feel like that too. I like never hold a camera on the bike. Cause I feel like it's too dangerous, but yeah. he's pretty good at it. So I love yeah, him. And the that. footage I took was so bad. So <laughs> I'm like, it's harder than it looks <laughs> yeah it really is so I give a lot of credit I remember I was watching like one of yours live premieres I literally commented that I was like I like cannot believe the amount of footage that I remember that yeah because I was like I can't <laughs> no he also like loves it so I think that yeah. helps you know yeah that makes it easier oh. if you actually like love cameras and you love figuring them out yeah. but I don't so yeah I don't either I have no interest <laughs> um okay two more questions what's the best part about being a professional triathlete um the best part is like the day-to-day -day. it requires a lot of discipline but also you we have a lot of flexibility like we basically choose our own training hours um 
I don't know, I really like the freedom and ability to kind of like go train wherever we need to live, wherever we want to live. Um, racing is really fun. I don't know. It's, it is stressful in a lot of ways because there's not like guaranteed income and money is very sporadic with racing and prize money and stuff like that. But overall, I think I wouldn't, I can't imagine like having a nine to five job sitting at a desk because I really like the lifestyle that we have surrounding it, which, um, it does look like super glamorous and fun and we get to exercise all day, but it is really hard. Like we're training, training super, super hard every day. Um, but it's kind of on our own beat and what, however we want to structure the day we can do that. So yeah. that's what I like about it. Yeah. Okay. The last question is, do you have any like advice that you give to your younger self? Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> I write a whole book. No. Um, well, just based on like my trajectory of being very successful and then basically like going into a big hole for a lot of years because of injury and anemia and sickness. And I would just say to listen to my body better as a teenager and feel better and um, realize that like my goals are more long-term than short-term. So when I was younger and I just wanted to go and train and train and do extra sessions and, you know, be as light as I possibly could be to run faster. Like that is not a sustainable long-term approach to the sport especially in triathlon where you have to be strong to swim and bike so yeah I don't know like listen to my body way better stop running when when I felt like an injury was coming on because a lot of the time I'd push through and then it would turn into several months versus dealing with it right away and this is all like way easier said than done because when you're living in the moment where you're having a lot of success it's very addicting and you don't want to stop making forward progress but think a little bit about like long-term goals and why you're doing it and, and make sure it stays fun. Like I hit a point when I was winning a lot of races, but it sort of became so stressful and so much pressure that I'd break down a bit. And I think that's also a lot of the reason I got injured. So yeah, just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think success will come to you as you're staying healthy and happy and enjoying the process. So yeah, that's a little bit like, yeah, it's, it's hard to take that in as a young athlete, but, um, looking back, that's kind of what I, how I wish I had approached my career early on to be more healthy through the last 10 years. Yeah. It's all about longevity, baby. Everyone listening. Maybe. I know. <laughs> yeah. If you want to keep running when you're like 50 or whatever, you gotta yeah. be healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great advice. Um, I appreciate you coming on here. I mean, I learned a lot about you and I feel like a lot of people got a lot out of it. Cause I do want to have more triathletes on Mm -hmm. podcast because it's something I'm interested in and I know a lot of people who like follow me are and I feel like a lot of runners can get into it like in the future you know maybe yeah well if any running people have like even a little bit of a swim background it's definitely worth pursuing if you feel like you want a new challenge and something else to focus on because you don't need a ton of swimming background to you know do well in a triathlon especially if you're a fast runner so yeah there you go (laughs) <laughs> uh, where can people follow you at? I'm sure many already do, but yeah, my, I don't even know my Instagram handle. It's like my name, Paula Findlay, Paula underscore Findlay. And then our YouTube channel is called that triathlon life. So every Sunday we put up a video at 8am and, uh, it's not all triathlon. It's like a lot of fun stuff too. So yeah. even if you like dogs, you should go watch it. We got yeah. great content on there. <laughs> I highly recommend if you are, if you're like in the running scene, you're like, Oh, maybe I'll check it out. Like go check it out. There's some good good content on their YouTube. And <laughs> thank you. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on to close out the episode. Can we get a good old peace out fellas? Peace out fellas. Thanks for listening.
Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Commas Over Cold Brew. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the podcast or this episode specifically. Follow at Commas Over Cold Brew Pod on Instagram if you want to submit listener questions or just be up to date on the newest episode and what's going on with the podcast. Subscribe to the Patreon for bonus content and there is merch in the show notes. So go check that out if you want to rock Commas Over Cold Brew. Thank you guys for listening and I will see you guys in the next one. Peace out, fellas. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.